The Guardian. When taxpayers had to step in and bail out some of Britain's biggest banks back in 2008, MPs promised a day of reckoning would come. And now, three years after the crash, City grandee Sir John Vickers has handed in his 358-page blueprint for a new banking system. High street banks will be ring-fenced from investment banks, and the likes of Lloyds, Barclays and the rest will be forced to set aside almost 20% of their assets to cushion the blow of any future crisis. I'm Adit Chakraborty, and on this special edition of The Business, I'll be picking apart the Vickers Report. But I shan't be doing it alone. With me in the studio, I've got The Guardian's banking expert, Jill Trainer, and our financial columnist, Niels Prattley. Jill, you've read every one of the 358 pages, I'm sure. Was it gripping? Well, if you're interested in banking, it produces, it's got lots of great numbers in there and the odd chart that can, you know, set your sort of heart racing, I guess. The reality is that the final report doesn't really say anything that the interim report doesn't, mm. didn't flag. It provides a bit more detail. And obviously this ring fence, which was first raised in the interim report, there's more flesh on that now, which I can come back to. Uh, I suppose the, if you're looking for sort of big differences... I guess there are two. One of them is this figure of 20% about the amount of capital and debt that banks have told. And the second is the fact that the Commission pretty much hands a major concession to the bailed-out bank, Lloyds Bank, by essentially saying, do you know what, we thought maybe you should you sell off a load of branches to uh, make a really strong competitive challenger on the high street. Actually, do you know what, you haven't got to do that anymore. I mean, that's a massive concession to Lloyds. Just in terms of this capital thing, this 20% thing, it's made up of a sort of 10% equity type buffer without getting too complicated. And then the rest of it uh, can be made up of a sort of new types of instruments that are sort of being developed, things called bail-in bonds, uh, COCOs, lots of lovely, nice new acronyms we're going to start seeing around the place. When you say equity capital, what do you mean? What kind of shares are we talking about? Well, essentially, it can be a bank's own share and it's also retained earnings. So it's essentially what makes up a bank's core tier one capital ratio, essentially, is what we're talking about. And if you're saying that you should have 10%, a bank should own 10% of its own shares or, or whatever and keep them okay. by as a set of safety, how does that work if bank shares suddenly take a big tumble as they have been over the last few weeks? Well, obviously, then the value of a, of, of a bank's equity does fall. And, and it includes other things because you can you you can you can put in other things in there as well the reality is all our banks have got uh, on the whole have got ratios at that level or if they're not there they're nearly there Nils as you know in the run-up to the Vickers report there was a whole chorus of bankers saying you've got to watch what you do to us or or the economy is going to take a nosedive you know hit us and the economy gets it Where do you think the Vickers report leaves that argument? Well, I think this is one of the best bits of the Vickers report is that they, you know, they took on that argument head on. And as you say, the banks have been, you know, screaming, screaming, uh, screaming about sort of terrible consequences of, of sort of messing with them at the moment, and uh, they're effectively calling for a cost-benefit analysis of this, uh, of these uh, proposals, and that's exactly what. Uh, the Commission has provided Annex Three. If you're really interested, is the is the is the place to go, and it's 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 you know politically a very useful weapon for for politicians who want to uh, implement these reforms because it's saying, uh, look, you know, the cost of this is 
you know, something about you know somewhere between four and seven uh, billion pounds the cost to the banks says uh, says the report. Um, but then it's saying, you know, look at the benefits we're going to get. I mean, actually, the, the real figure, the hit to the consumers should be a lot less than six to seven, uh, you know, partly because it gets a sort of afraid. So by the, by the time it reaches uh, borrowers and in terms of uh, paying high interest rates, we, we, you know, we should be measuring in, you know, fractions, one tenth of, fra- of, of one percentage point was uh, the figure that Vickers mentioned. Um, but then, then look at the benefits. You know, you know, if we can avoid or at least um, reduce the effect of uh, financial crises, you know, you get a much better, you much, you get more economic growth, you get more stability, and you should get more confidence. So, uh, I, th- I think you know, it's, it was a good thing that the commissioners did yesterday by, with that cost-benefit analysis. Jill pointed to Lloyd's as being one of the big winners from yeah. the Vickers report. Can you think of any others and any big losers? Well, I think I think Jill's Jill's absolutely right that Lloyd's is the big winner. Um, I I think what the commissioners would say that yes, they've sort of given with one hand, but they're probably taken away with an, with another, uh, in that they are demanding, that, for example, that uh, uh, the new regulatory system has a you know built-in primary duty to uh, promote competitiveness, and they're still talking about the possibility of a competition inquiry into uh, Lloyd's dominance on the, on the high street. But, you know, that, that to be honest, is, is for another day. It's a bit further down the line. I think clearly the short-term impact is, is good news for Lloyd's compared to what was being proposed at the interim stage. Any losers? Losers. RBS, I think, is the big loser. Um, you know, if you're going to separate, you know, the argument for separating uh, retail banking from investment banking is, is, is a very good argument. You know, you don't want the investment bank to, to bring down the retail bank. Um, you know, RBS is investment bank is pretty small. Um, uh, it produces a lot of profits at the moment, but, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> it's really enjoying this funding advantage of being attached to a retail bank if that funding advantage is is taken away you've got real doubts about about whether rbs will really be capable of playing in the investment banking big league i think barclays you know the same argument applies but to a lesser degree to barclays because um bar cap is a sort of bigger uglier more competitive beast than, than rbs's investment bank jill let's have a think about some of the reactions to the report um George Osborne said pretty soon after the interim report that you just mentioned that he'd, he'd go along with, with Vickers' plan. I was very struck by the press commentary uh, in the wake of the final report and how different it was in tone from the interim. At the interim report, when Vickers had his press conference, there was almost an accusation from some journalists in the room that he'd, he'd, he'd basically bottled it, that he hadn't gone as far as he could. And if you look at the press reports and the day after the final report... They, they actually seem to go along with a report which isn't that different from what he did at the halfway mark. Why is that? It, entirely personal view is I yeah. think there's been an extraordinarily successful lobbying campaign by the banking industry to make this look as horrendous as possible. The reality is banks analysts yesterday were saying, Ian Gordon, for instance, a guy working at Evolution, was saying, do you know what, this could have been a whole lot worse. You know, he's not alone in thinking that. Clearly it's painful. But really, you know, if you think about what Vince Cable was saying when he came into government, you know, let's split these banks up into pieces. Let's put a great big concrete wall between the two. You can't do both. You can't do investment banking. You can't do high street banking. It is not as bad. The banking industry has now worked relentlessly since April to tell everybody just how horrendous this is, what a disaster it's going to be, how painful it's going to be, the damage it's going to do. And so, lo and behold, when the final report comes around, everybody thinks, you know, it's a lot worse than it is. Now... To think back to April, when the interim report came out, of course, initial reactions do change. And I think maybe when the ring-fencing announcement was first announced, 
every, that there was a sigh of relief, I mean, a real sigh of relief, that it wasn't, you know, that they had, had stepped back and ruled out full-scale separation. Um, and it does take time to digest. And it's certainly clear that since April, bank shares have been, let's be honest, on a steady downward yeah. trajectory. Yeah. Of course, we don't know the impact of the Eurozone in all this mm. and everything else. Mm. Um, but the reality is it, it, it does seem that by the time we got to this final report that you know, the banks have successfully convinced everyone that this is quite possibly the most painful thing that could possibly be inflicted on them. Politically, what was also notable was how everyone immediately said, from Ed Balls to George Osborne, John Vickers is basically right and we go along with this. Mm. Is there anything in there that you think uh, an old-style Labour voice might find actually not going far enough? Is it, I mean, what, the, the more radical critics of the banking system, what, what are they going to be disappointed well, it's, by? it's certainly true that, I mean, you, you can think about, I mean, unions, they're, they're a good place to start, I guess, but there are also economists, the New Economics Foundation, for instance, are still calling for full-scale separations. The unions yesterday were making the point that this is kicking it all into long, long grass because it's not going to happen until 2019. But, if, you know, Neil's talked about the fact that they've put a cost on the impact of what happens if you ask banks to ring fence. You know, if you wanted to be really picky, you could say, well, maybe what they should have done was produced us the analysis on what they've done of the impact of a total separation, because that wasn't done and that isn't seen. So you could argue that we haven't really completely ever understood why they ruled out total separation. I mean, I, 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 and I, it strikes me that they probably could never maintain the status quo. So they could have, I suppose, put an cost-benefit analysis on what would have happened if we'd stayed the same. I mean, you know, you know, lots of what-ifs, lots of theoreticals, but you could, you, you could argue that we've never really, really had a proper explanation as to why, yeah. one, we can't maintain the status quo, and two, we can't have full-scale separation. Well, Mark Martin Taylor yesterday, one of the commissioners... The, the ex-Barclays... The ex-Barclays uh, guy, um, who's not a very popular chap at Barclays these days, as we said... Um, I mean, he, he was he was making the claim at the press conference that the, that um, <clears throat> the retail ring fence is a, was a was a better solution than total separation in that you retain some of the uh, advantages of universal banking in that the uh, you know a strongly performing investment bank can still support a struggling retail bank, i.e., they can lob a load of cash over the ring fence, and that um, you know in some circumstances that could be an advantage. I suppose, you know, you asked me to be picky, that's what we can be picky yeah, about, is that there's yeah. no solid, clear explanation as to why we ruled things out and ruled things in, One yeah. in th- terms of cost. Yeah. Let, let me ask a, a techie question, which, uh, if you can answer in human terms, that would be uh, quite an achievement. There's all sorts of uh, comparisons being flagged up with Dodd-Frank, what's going on in America, what, what Europe's got planned, the international sort of Basel III that's coming down the track. Where does this leave us in in the regulatory landscape? Does it is Britain now among the uh, economies that's gone hardest on its banks, or is it somewhere in the middle, or is it still relatively light touch? My, my personal view is that we can say all these things until this is actually on the statute books. I think right now we've got an intention, but mm. it's not on the statute. But books. But what would you say the intention? Well. I think the. Tra- I mean, look, Osborne was picked up on this in Parliament yesterday, where he's asked, "You're saying that you're going to implement it. Which bits are you going to implement?" Mm. You know, look. By the end of the year, they've promised to tell us precisely mm. what they're going to do. I mean, I. I, I mean, I'm paid to be sceptical. I think we've got to wait and see exactly what they tell us at the end of mm. the year about how they're going to implement it. I mean, Vickers yesterday was urging, "Don't do pick and mix." You yeah. know, please, this yeah, is this a package, is package. of reform. Yeah. Don't try watering down this and changing that. Um, but look. Say it went through as it is, say, Switzerland has got this 
uh, you know, has, has got a regime where it sort of forced its banks to think a bit about the way they structure themselves. I'm not an expert on the Swiss regulatory system, but we know that they're holding, uh, requiring banks to hold about 19% relative to the sort of 20% thing that Vickers is talking about. And they've also had this thing where they've had to rejig the way they operate their businesses, which is, I think, sort of on a similar vein, but not quite as ring-fancy as, as what we're talking about. So... Compared to the Americans, I think, I mean, the reality is we are being a bit tougher. And if you think about it, you know, one of the bosses of America's big, biggest banks this week was saying, hey, let's pull out of Basel III because it's, you know, anti-American, you know. So I don't know, are we getting a backlash about extra capital and such what? Well, I, I mean, I, I agree. But believe it when you see it. Believe it when it's on statute. But it's always a good principle. I mean, one of the great advantages of this report is that, you, you know, uh, it probably will be implemented, you know, and, you know, as, we, as you were mentioning yesterday, so we, you know, the, uh, the Cruikshank report kind of, of 10 years ago, whenever it was, sort of pretty much withered on the vine and, you know, wasn't really implemented. It was widely ignored. This one, I think you can believe it will be implemented, not just because of sort of broad political support for it, because it's, it's also sort of coherent. Uh, there's public appetite for, for reform. Uh, and I think the politicians um, do fear, uh, you know, another banking crisis. I mean, if after the last crisis, you know, we would have a, a complete repeat, you know, that's, that's politically dire for the kind of the, 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 uh, the government at the time. I think they do fear another crisis and they do want to have, you know, they, don't want, they, they want to make sure that, they, you know, we could handle it. I mean, you know, it's sensible, it's sensible politics to do this because, you know, there's a Eurozone crisis brewing. In which case, timings in which case, is, timing, is very, it's very fair, interesting fair because, point, as Jill point. says, it's, we're not going to see what they're actually going to push through until the end of this year. The legislation they're, they're aiming to pass by before the end of Parliament, so, so that gives it 2015, yeah. and then 2019 is possibly when they, they implement it, yeah. which is, what, 12 years after Northern Rock fought, fell over. Yeah, but, we, but, I mean, against that, you would have to say that, you know, on the capital point... Pretty much all the banks now are up to speed yeah. on this 10% core equity and, capital. And, and analysts are also saying, actually, you know, this 20% thing that people are getting terribly excited about, banks are also already there. Yeah. So although you can you, you can start to think this looks tough, the fact is banks have already kind of been thinking, you know what, yeah. we need to hold more than the market wants. That's the great thing about what's happened since the, the crisis is that before the crisis, minimums really, really were minimums. Whereas minimums now, sorry, minimums were maximums, if you see what I mean. Whereas now minimums really are seen as minimums and people are holding, you know, the banks are holding above those minimums in a way they weren't before. How's all this going to affect bank lending? One one of the issues that you got, one of the arguments that the banking lobby kept making was if you force us to keep more money aside, then we, we won't be able to lend as much businesses. Well, this is the argument that we've had constantly since the crisis. Um, and we can see for definite that bank lending is is obviously down. You know, now, is that because banks are being forced to hold more capital or is it because actually they're doing what banks do in recessions and in difficult economic times, become really picky about who they lend money to, become really concerned about the credit worthiness of the banks, uh, as a, sorry, the, 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 their customers? You know, it's a really, really, really difficult argument. But of course, technically, if you are asking a bank to hold more capital, you are actually asking them to do less lending. Nils, bonuses. Not really mentioned in the uh, Vickers report. Why not? I mean, sure, if you ask, if you ask the, the man or woman in the street the, 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 and you mention the word bankers, they would just say bonuses. And why? Wh- there's not a, a word of it in, in the Vickers report, is there? Uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I've not read everywhere. There is a passing there is there is And yet, and yet the, 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 yeah. the public anger that both of you have been talking yeah. about when it comes to banks is largely directed around the issue of pay. 
Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, commission. You know, the commission was appointed to do to do a particular job, and you know, the terms of reference didn't include looking at looking at bonuses. It was about to, making the banking system safer. I agree absolutely. You know, you know the bonus culture and the the banking system is is absolutely bonkers and it's way out of control and that the bankers have not really sort of latched onto uh, the uh, public mood or sort of accepted that times are going to change on that on that front but you know that's not the commissioner's fault they were asked to do a job to make the banking system safer through structural reforms and promoting competition and that's what they've done Vickers was asked about it yesterday and the response he gave was the response that is now tending to become the response is that if you can get taxpayers off the hook for the banking system, then some of the anger about big pay deals may subside. I mean, that was his kind that's a of... Very, I mean, that's exactly... That, you're right. That is the argument now gets made. I, mm. I think that's just a bit too sophisticated. I don't, I don't think people do think, well, hang on, actually, my taxpayer liability is now significantly restricted, so therefore I'm not so worried about the bloke down the street paying himself millions for doing something I don't understand. It's certainly true that since people became more aware that the taxpayer is always there, standing behind the banking system, i.e., which nobody really, let's be honest about it, probably even gave a second thought to until 2008, that the anger about bankers' pay does seem to have been louder. You know, some people have always shouted about it. It's a really tricky argument. And, and, and how you'll ever make a taxpayer, after everything that this country's been through, feel that they are off the hook. It's quite mm. tricky. Until we have another crisis and we can prove to taxpayers that they are off the hook, we're kind of stuck in some sort of vicious circle, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, it's up to shareholders to put the ball in the back of the net because clearly, you know, one effect of this, of these reforms, uh, assuming they're implemented, is that returns on capital for banks, one would assume, are going to come down. Um, therefore, if shareholders are going to get their their old um, uh, returns or anything like it, they've got to force the banks to sort of pay, pay their staff less because that's the biggest overhead. Final question to you both. Four years on from the beginning of Credit Crunch and the collapse of Northern Rock, three years on from the collapse of Lehman Brothers, this report is probably kind of the, 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 the best you're going to get, the most you're going to get in terms of reforming the bank system. Do you think it goes far enough? Instinctively, I, 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 I would have gone for f- full separation. It just feels like a kind of belt and braces thing. Um, but... Uh, I think it's a pretty coherent, uh, intelligent report. It does an awful lot of um, of good things, and I think you know. I, I hope the government implements it. I think it, it probably is the best we're going to get, and you know, I think it's it's a substantial thing. Jill, after the the, the, the banking crisis reached its climax, and people said this must never happen again, there are all sorts of ideas that were floated about. You know, direct lending to regions or specific industries, making the banking system, making finance simpler, all the rest of it, you know, limiting, basically limiting the power of banks. And what you get instead is not an attempt to tackle the power of banks, but an attempt simply to limit the taxpayer exposure to the banks. Mm. Is that really enough? Look, it's not as radical as what the Americans did after the Great Depression, where we had Glass-Steagall, which was, you know, and lasted for what? However many years? I don't know, 40 years? You know, it's not that radical, which is why people could keep saying this could have been worse. The reality is the banks are used to being able to operate their businesses largely as they want to. They've got the FSA looking at them. You know, they all have to be, you know, if you're a big banker, you've got to be approved by the FSA to do your job. And the FSA is now looking at you more and more while it continues to exist. But it's not the... 2019 is still a long way away, you know. There's plenty of time for them to get their houses in order. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, you could say, to be more optimistic, I mean, I think it's, it's a good start. I mean, I think on the competition aspect, which is the one that's 
um, got far less attention. You know, the, there is clearly more that could be done there. And that plot is going to sort of play out over some time. You know, if you get it written into the regulations that the regulator has to promote competition, you know, you could conceivably get a breakup of Lloyd's. But that's, you know, that is a debate for further down the line. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to Jill Train and Nils Prattley. I'm Edith Chakraborty. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.